This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 6, Episode 11. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by Mountain Man Medical. Today is Wednesday, May 18th, 2022, as of the recording of this episode, and I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I'm joined today by our producer and co-host, Matthew Marister. Hello, sir. How are you? Doing great. As long as the uh, the video feed here continues to function, I'll be happy. <laughs> We've had some some difficulties here today. Uh, but today is our industry news and gear reviews episode. We do this once a month where we highlight recent industry news from the last month, basically, because we do this on a monthly basis. And then uh, towards the end of the episode, we share a couple of product reviews. Matthew's got something that he's picked, and I've picked one that I'm going to share and review. And as Matthew noted in the pre-show, uh, we, are, we both chose something a little bit different maybe than what we typically do i will say matthew that it was i was sitting there and i'm like man you know like what do i what am i going to do a review on i mean I, I there's typically things go you know coming through my door and then i'm you know checking out or trying or buying or whatever reviewing but sometimes i don't like remember what i have talked about and what i haven't talked about <laughs> on the podcast on past episodes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i want to make sure i'm talking about something new you know, so there's that aspect. So I had to go back and look at the last few episodes and things like that. But I was actually seriously considering talking about Velcro. Because <laughs> I was just going to mention, yeah. I'll tell you, th- this is a handy thing right here. Industrial strength, strong Velcro brand. Hmm. Okay. Adhesive strips. And these, you know, you like can put two- that on your shoes and replace this, the laces. Yeah, yeah. Why not? <laughs> uh, old old guys like you would do that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, these are uh, four by two inch uh, sections, and I, I mentioned that because for a gun carrier, somebody that uh, you know has a a gun and a holster and all that, uh, I don't have a Kydex holster here handy with me. Oh no, I do. Um, this one was made by my friend uh, Tyler Tharp of synergy solution synergy shooting solutions um this is actually for an owb but you could put a strip of velcro if this is an iwb holster right here and put something like this on a wedge boom see that so anyway but that's not my item today so i'm gonna (laughs) keep you guys all in waiting and we'll get to that later in the episode um and it'll be a little bit more interesting i hope than velcro Today's episode sponsored and brought to you by Range Tech Shot Timers. Range Tech Shot Timers, not actually, that's not rangetechtimer.com, right? Jeez, my brain has gone totally haywire because I started joking about Velcro. <laughs> rangetechtimer.com is a website. Holy smokes. Jeez, we practically only own the website. I should know these things. For the best, best value shot timer on the market. Go to Range Tech Timer today. Pick one up. I've got a unit right here. 75 bucks. What shot timer out there can you buy for that kind of price? In fact, what shot timer can you buy? It's less than 100 bucks. They pretty much don't exist. And if they do, they're junk. All right. 
because I have actually come across one that was a uh, lower price. It, it barely broke the $100 threshold. It was some Chinese thing. It did not work very good. All right. Anyway, uh, rangetechtimer.com for the best value shot timer that actually works and has some features that none of the others on the market do, such as saving your shooting data right within the app. It works with an app, uh, a native app, and it's awesome. So check it out, rangetechtimer.com. Um, also, barrelblock.com, another sponsor today for safe dry fire practice or safe gun handling. We encourage you to check out and purchase barrel blocks for all the calibers that you regularly use. You know, I just shot a uh, indoor USPSA match Monday night, uh, Matthew, and uh, about an hour or so before I headed out for the match, did a little bit of dry fire practice. And even though I'm in my basement and I have safe concrete underground, you know, walls in virtually every direction, have the basement all to myself, just doing my thing, I still like to put the barrel block in there for a little extra assurance. Um, it, I mean, as soon as it's installed, I ain't got nothing to worry about. There's no live ammo that can work its way into that gun. Um, I know it's unloaded. I can visually see and verify and confirm that because uh, the tip of the barrel block will just slightly protrude, fr- protrude from the barrel, uh, from, you know, from the muzzle itself. And uh, yeah, like why not? For a very, very modest investment, I mean, cheap investment, really, it is huge dividends and peace of mind. So check out barrelblock.com to pick up your barrel blocks today we actually just released a new caliber i don't know if it's publicly out there or not i think so i don't know i guess i'll mention it 4.6 millimeter by 30 millimeter that's kind of an odd one but we ended up getting a contract uh overseas for uh 4.6 by 30 millimeter so guess what that's available so if you happen to shoot one of those which probably most of you do not uh, it's very uncommon here in the states although cmmg recently uh like last year or earlier this year was it shasha this year anyway i think they so. really recently released an ar chambered in 4.6 by 30 millimeter but uh, traditionally we have uh, barrel blocks or actually called rifle blocks in the case of the rifles chambered in 223 uh, which is nice and handy and convenient and then we've got a bunch of the pistol calibers so uh check it out all right, let's get into our news, our industry news. First up, Sig Sauer wins U.S. Army Next Generation Squad Weapon Contract. Uh, story here on thefirearmblog.com. Uh, this has been in the works for a few years. People have you know, been following for some time now this uh, contract as it's been competed. Uh, there was three companies you know, three three serious contenders as of what probably a year year and a half ago. Uh, one of those ended up dropping out because they didn't quite meet some of the requirements of the contract. That was Textron, I think was their name. And then the other one, I, uh, General Dynamics is the, the only notable company I remember was a part of. It, it was some kind of uh, a joint uh, uh, venture between a couple of companies. Uh, so basically, came down to that General Dynamics joint venture and Six Hour and Six Hour ended up being the winner of this contract. It was a huge contract, billions and billions of dollars. Uh, these are set to replace eventually, and I think it's going to take some time. And even this mentions how it's not going to go in the hands of every soldier. 
Um, but uh, eventually the idea is for the new uh, uh, next generation squad weapon rifle and next generation squad weapon automatic rifle, which those are both known as respectively the XM5. Once they are officially approved, tested, validated, whatever, and are actually rolled out into the into the military's hands, the U.S. Army's hands, it'll be known as the M5, which is they mentioned is merely the next number up from the weapon it's replacing, the M4. So the XM5 will become the M5, and then the automatic rifle, which will which is intended to replace the uh, M249 saw. Uh, which is currently known as the XM250, it will become the M250 when it's uh, officially rolled out. These are both chambered in the new 6.8 millimeter cartridge, a little bit different approach from what we've used since Vietnam. Um, The idea here being that there's been reports that the 5.56 NATO, uh, while it can be an absolutely devastating round, um, it doesn't reach out distance-wise quite so well. And, well, the last 20 years, we were fighting a, a war overseas in a country where our soldiers were engaged sometimes in some pretty long-distance uh, engagements and battles. So uh, looking for something with a little bit more reach, a little bit more punch. But the irony there, Matthew, is it's taken them so long to get this figured out and come out with a new caliber to accommodate the stuff we learned in Afghanistan, our next war might not necessarily be a long distance engagement type, you know, affair. So anyway, uh, kudos to SIG. You know, we have a lot of friends over at SIG Sauer and, uh, you know, I'm happy for them in that regard. SIG is like the big, the big dog in the room right now with respect to all of these contracts they've been winning the M17, M18. Now these new rifles, uh, which are based on the uh, MCX platform. And uh, also uh, part of this contract is the new Vortex fire control uh, optic, as it's referred to, which has just a crazy bunch of cool features built into it to allow ballistic calculations and things on the fly um, right on top of the rifle. I'm sure, it's very expensive. Even that contract is something in the billions of dollars. So, uh, very uh, interesting, futuristic-looking weapon platform here for the U.S. Army and potentially other branches of the military as well. Again, won't be rolled out to all uh, soldiers. Um, it even specifies it's not necessarily geared towards the special operations community, although they may have it as an option. So, mm-hmm. there you go. Very cool. Yeah, what, what's your take on this as a former... Well, excuse me, once a Marine, always a Marine. (laughs) As a Marine? (laughs) No, I'm not not carrying around 249 saws right now, I'll I'll be honest. Um, No, I I haven't looked at like all the specs on on the guns. It's it's cool because the cartridge is like in between a 5.56 and a a 7.62. So like, I don't know if this is, will eventually replace like a, like the M240, which is, you know, the, the, uh, light machine gun 762 um or not or if they keep both i i don't know um, well actually it mentioned somewhere i can't remember if it was in this article or i might have read it somewhere else because i've read multiple articles and we have two by the way in the show notes of today's, today's episode but uh they mentioned 
maybe it wasn't in these articles. I might've read it somewhere else that uh, there is a procurement out there looking into conversions for M240s into the mm-hmm. new 6.8 millimeter uh, chambering. So I think that is yeah. kind of the next step. And that, that kind of makes sense. I think a little bit, you know, yeah. like, well, you know, you basically mm-hmm. are, yeah. You, I mean, it, it, or the M240 is chambered in 30 caliber. Um, the 6.8 is not far off from that. It's the same length. It's a, a 6.8 by 51 millimeter. Well, 7.62 NATO is 7.62 by 51 millimeter. So it's very similar, um, just a little bit more necked down, a little bit more, uh, you know, it's a little bit more of an aerodynamic cartridge, frankly, compared to a 7.62 NATO. And being able to run that in your, you know, uh, your uh, your standard carbine, as well as a, a squad automatic weapon, as well as a little bit larger, heavier duty automatic weapon, as well like the two forty. I could see yeah. that. Pretty cool. Yeah. Just we'll have to see. Like I, I I don't know how how much heavier this makes it or anything like that, but I'm just glad I'm not I'm not carrying them <laughs> anymore. Yeah. Yeah, like even the uh, carbine model is two pounds heavier than your standard M4 um, mm. unloaded. And I think that's even without the optic on it. And the optic is heavier than because it's got so many like ballistics computer type stuff built into it. So wow. by the end of the day, and then the ammo, which is going to be heavier. And that is kind of the big controversy, I think, from all this that people have been discussing on the interwebs the last few weeks is that with well, we went to the M4 because of weight and we could carry more ammo and, you know, and the M4, M4 is great in terms of weight. It is a very nice, compact, lightweight uh, weapon system. I mean, compared to what we used to run with M14s, uh, M1s, you know, uh, uh, and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, this is a step back towards a heavier system, but it's got to be heavier, obviously, to support uh, a little bit. It's a, it's a larger chambering. It's a larger gun. Uh, period. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. See how it rolls out. It's going to take years for them, honestly, to phase all this yeah. in. Be Just cool, like it's though. taken a few years for the M17s, M18s, which are still getting, I think, phased in. So, all righty. Let's go now to Matthew. Tell us about and you because you wrote the article on this. Walter recently released. And a, a new version, a new model of the PDP series of pistols. This is known as the PDPF mm-hmm. series, which apparently stands for the F stands for female, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. They decided to designate it that way. <laughs> uh, but I'll let you speak to that. You yeah. wrote it, the article. Yeah, I, I didn't know firearms had genders, but apparently they do. Um, this is the female gender of the PDP. Um, no, Christy said she wanted to see a review on this. Uh, I would love to. I, don't, I haven't had one in my hand, but uh, when I heard that it came out, I just did a, a quick write-up kind of uh, explaining some of the tweaks that Walther made to the PDP to make it more, I guess, directed towards females. But um, as I as I read read over it, you know, it actually appealed to me. I have, you know, smaller than probably average hands. Um, and so I think that is, is one of the angles that a lot of times somebody, you know, manufacturer will say, well, females have smaller hands, so let's make the controls a little smaller or thinner or whatever. But, um, basically the new features on the PDPF, uh, they put a new perform, what they call performance duty trigger. Uh, it's supposed to be a little 
crisper and more defined break. Um, they did a little bit what's called super terrain slide serrations instead of cutting into the slide. Apparently these are kind of uh, added on raised up off the slide a little bit. Um, like I said, I, I haven't had one in my hand, so I can't tell you like exactly, yeah. but uh, supposed to be for added grip um, texture, which is, which is a good thing. Um, an easier to rack slide. So um, easier to rack, they say by 20% which is, you know, you don't have to be a female to, to appreciate any of these things. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, so easier to rack slide, um, performance duty grip texture. This is supposed to be a little bit, um, less, less, uh, abrasive, but still, um, provide good grip. Um, so different, different texture than the typical or the, uh, the other PDP, uh, firearms. Uh, reduce grip circumference, and this is that smaller hand, you know, grip size. Um, uh, if you reduce a grip circumference, but you don't, you know, um, reduce the the um, uh, capacity of the firearm, I, it's probably a good thing. You know, you can reach the controls, the the uh, slide stop or the um, uh, magazine release, things like that. Um, yeah. And so it's not pink, which is awesome. I'm super happy that they didn't just, you know, throw some pink Cerakote on there and be like, Hey, we got this gun for girls. Um, but it is the PDP F series. I would carry, I think it, it would be, I mean, I haven't tested it out, but like from what, what, um, the improvements are, it seems like it would be, it would be good, not just for females, but maybe for dudes that, you know, their hands identify as female hands or whatever you want to say. <laughs> I'm sarcastic, but yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's great, right? You come out with another option that can uh, accommodate more, more people's hands, right? It's not a bad thing. I actually don't think that the original PDP was uh, honestly all that bad in, in this regard. It's a, actually a pretty... Uh, adaptable pistol um, that's got a nice, you know, it's very ergonomic. Actually, the P the PDP as it stands, the original model is quite ergonomic, and then of course has the uh, the back straps you can change out, and so you can actually make it considerably smaller than the, than the standard model, if you will. Um, but this takes it to another level; it slims up the entirety of the grip uh, in virtually every dimension. And that's not a bad thing, right? Why we have to say it's female oriented, you know, or that, that it's intended for that purpose, I think is kind of strange. Um, I know maybe there's some lady out there that's going to be like, well, you're just a bunch of guys. Like, what, what do you have to, you know, like, you, you, you're, you're guys, you're not ladies. You don't have an you opinion. Know, how dare you, you know, uh, take away from us our female <laughs> pistol? Like, it's just a pistol, you know? And uh, I think that there are men and women alike that have uh, smaller hands. And but whatever. All right, PDPF, cool. Well, you see, I'm not necessarily like people think I have big hands. I, I do have fairly, probably fairly good sized palms. My fingers are actually relatively short. So some of the bigger pistols that might be appreciated by normal man sized hands or length of fingers. Um, actually are a little bit on the large side for me. And I, that's, that probably comes as a surprise to some people. Um, the way I shoot a P320 the, with the 
X-Series grip. It's actually a pretty big grip for me, uh, but I make it work, and my, my grip is, uh, is adapted to it uh, slightly, very slightly. But um, I actually like the X-Compact size of the 320. It's, it's my favorite grip module out of all those. And it's the smaller, slimmer, you know, trimmed down version. That's the one I like the best, just to give you some context. And that's probably not all that far from how this new PDPF is designed. So <laughs> anyway, cool. You know, they have a 3.5-inch uh, barrel model and a 4-inch model as well. So uh, some nice options there. Uh, check out the Walter PDPF. I, I, I've seen them already available in stores. In fact, I got a report from a female friend of mine. She just posted on Facebook a week or so ago um, that she had a PDPF and uh, was was very happy with it. Um, had already shot it in a training course and everything. And uh, so to those of you wondering about it, uh, early reports are it's a good pistol. Uh, I, I don't see why it wouldn't be. Uh, you know, the PDP, I think, is already very quickly shown that it's a capable gun. And this is just a slightly slimmed up version of that. Also, another interesting new gun release is the Beretta APX-A1. According to the firearm blog again.com here, um, Beretta has announced and released their APX-A1, which is the... Uh, We'll just call it a revised version of the original APX. And if you're wondering what that's all about, well, it is a basically, I mean, as far as I can tell, I mean, just on the surface. Now, they may say that there's some other things to it here, but on the surface, it just looks like an APX with a redesigned slide. Most of the common complaints of the APX was it's ugly and the slide had some weird serrations and stuff. Um, it was a bit chonky too, or at least it had the impression that it was, you know, like the slide felt wider maybe than it needed to be. This new APX A1 looks a little bit more sleek and trim and a little bit more, uh, in line with, I think the current aesthetic in defensive duty type, you know, pistols. Um, so there you go. APX A1. I think all the other specs are essentially the same as the APX. This is optics ready, though. That's cool. So that's a nice little thing, a nice little touch, although kind of expected in today's world. Isn't that remarkable, Matthew, that just a few years ago that wouldn't have been the case, but now like people expect pistols to be optics ready. Like the new yeah. guns that hit the market, they expect it now. I yeah. just think that's remarkable. Um, but... Uh, yeah, here's the, uh, the the statement from Beretta themselves. They're pleased to announce the launch of a new new family of semi-automatic pistols. I, I guess I would have thought that the APX was a family, and this is part of that family, but apparently this is a new family. The APX A1. Uh, next evolution of striker-fired pistols made by Beretta. Uh, said it's built on the heritage of the original APX that passed the MHS. That was the modular handgun, uh, uh, modular handgun system. Uh, contract for the U.S. Army, and the APX A1 delivers a crisp, class-dominating trigger, improved ergonomics, aggressive slide serrations, and MRDS or Mini Red Dot Sight optics cuts right out of the box. So, there you go. What is it capacity-wise? I forget. Um, it comes with 10, 15, or 17-round magazine capacities available. MSRP value or price of five twenty-nine. So. 
typically we see um, Beretta striker fired pistols a bit, a good bit lower than their MSRP price. So I wouldn't be surprised at all to see this one on shelves in the mid fours, um, at least uh, in the near future. The Apex originally kind of started out something similar, and before long, you can go buy them for like four hundred bucks. It was a pretty good value, actually. I don't know if this one will quite go that low or not, especially since it's uh, optics ready. But uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see it kind of in the mid to maybe upper fours. So check it out. Should be on shelves. It says right now, now available. Next up, NPR. Here's the headline. It's 19 weeks into the year, and America has already seen 198 mass shootings. Take it away, Matthew. Yeah. So you sent that, or you mentioned this in earlier in the week that you heard this on the radio. That, and, and it depends on what station you're listening to. I guess some some are saying 198, some are saying like 200, and some are saying you know more than that. To it all depends. But um, yeah. So this is the number that's kind of being floated around uh, that we've already had in the country 198 mass shootings, um, and this clearly uh, puts us on a trajectory to beat um, 2021, which uh, came in at uh, 693 mass shootings. So these numbers get thrown around and nobody, you know, they're very catching for, you know, uh, uh, article titles or headlines or whatever you want to say, or for people that just are, you know, trying to uh, have a conversation, but not really get in depth and they throw out, you know, figures. Um, and look, there, there are shootings all the time, right? Like I'm not, and, and I'm not downplaying the, the problem of evil people shooting people. Right. Um, but the, it, it begs, if you're going to throw out numbers like this, it helps to know kind of where, what are the criteria that they're using? So, um, these these numbers are coming from the Gun Violence Archive, which is uh, a collection. They just basically scour uh, shootings and in, in, in reports, and they add anything. Um, uh, I, I just missed what it is, but um, okay, mass shooting: any incident in which four or more people are shot or killed, excluding the shooter. So this would involve, you know, somebody who sprays rounds. Uh, you know, it, it, some gang on gang, something or other, uh, you know, four people get shot. None of them die. They get injured, whether it's, um, you know, severe injury or a minor injury that would be considered a mass shooting. And I'm not saying that that's not a bad event and it's, it's not something that needs to be addressed. But, um, when, when, when most people hear mass shootings, they immediately, I mean, if you hear, think right now, what you think of a, a mass shooting, you're thinking of a school shooting, uh, a shooting like, you know, that, that we just had in the, in the supermarket or something like that. Right. So it, it is kind of playing loose with terms and with the data collection. And I think that, um, it doesn't do justice to the actual, uh, problem, but, um, yeah, well, uh, you, you initially heard it Riley. So maybe you can tell me what your take is. Oh yeah, you know, I, I had just heard on on the radio. I was uh, coming back from dropping kids off at school, and um, they just were saying how you know at this point, you know, this is Monday morning after you know obviously a very violent weekend. Uh, they're like, at this point, we've had over two hundred mass shootings in America this year, and I was like, hmm, that sounds like a lot, right? And that's obviously the intent. Like that, there's a don't get me wrong, 
my, my belief is that there is, I'm sure that the journalists feel like they're doing their journalistic duty by just simply reporting the facts and that that is a fact. Uh, but there is a either sometimes intentional and maybe sometimes subconscious uh, desire to uh, influence, I think, public opinion on such things and give us the impression that, oh my gosh, there's so many mass shootings, already 200 this year. By the way, I went back and did some math. Uh, 2021 ended with 693 mass shootings, as you mentioned, per the Gun Violence Archive. We're going to talk a little bit more about Gun Violence Archive here in a minute. Um, and uh, that average is actually at 13.3 per week. Okay. Um, it said around this time last year, U.S. had experienced a similar number, uh, also about 10 a week. So I don't know if that means that the number ticked up from there um, towards the end of the year. But for all of 2021, it was an average of 13.32 per week. So far this year, we're in the 20th week, but the statistics we have are as of the end of the 19th week of the year. So we've had 198 according to this report and divided by 19 weeks, it's 10.42. Okay. So um, if the trend continues, less than what we had last year would be the result. Uh, but uh, either way, this sounds like a lot, right? Now, the numbers coming from Gun Violence Archive, what is that? Well, it's a website that on the face tries to present itself as merely a fact reporting you know, system of we're just tracking how many mass shootings occur. And their definition of a mass shooting is an incident where four or more people are shot, not including the shooter. Well, what does that mean exactly? Well, it could be four people get shot and none of them die. Now, I'm not saying people getting shot's a good thing or trying to excuse that in any way, but I don't know. Things sound worse when four people get shot and four people die versus four people get shot and they all live. You know what I mean? Like, so it's just purely based on mass shootings. The FBI, and we, we dived into this years ago or dove into this uh, years ago when we did uh, our big compilation of mass, um, well, mass shootings and mass killings. Um, the FBI, for instance, or the federal government does not have an official definition of mass shooting. Some people would be curious to know what to know that or to hear that um, they have a definition for mass killings, which is any incident, not including domestic ones. And I think it even rules out gang related incidents too. I, I could be wrong. It's been a while since I looked at that part. I know, I know for a fact it rules out domestic situations uh, known as familicides. Um, but the mass killing definition is incidents where three or more are killed, not including the perpetrator the killer. All right. So we hear all these different things and verbiages that are thrown out there and, and they're all, they, they might actually mean different things, but we might in our brain kind of assimilate all that together and think it's kind of similar when it's really not. So I would not be surprised if we went and looked at the official mass killings report for this year, which there, by the way, there is no official report yet. Eventually there will be compiled by the FBI. 
um, that it's probably it probably looks very different from this mass shooting number. Now, again, not trying to explain or excuse away the mass shootings. They're, they're bad. My understanding is gun violence archive also includes a lot of like it includes any of these shootings where there's four or more shot, including gang related violence. Why is that relevant? Well, it's relevant because if there is an intentional or unintentional subconscious push to influence public opinion and eventually policy on such things, meaning gun control, because that's usually where it goes or where, where they try to take it to, um, then people hear 200 mass shootings so far this year and they're like oh my gosh which again that is bad but in our heads we might equate that with and by the way this is touching on now we're kind of moving into this article from bearingarms.com i'm using it as a segue point here cbs pushes lie about total number of mass shootings so it's another article Uh, i'll reference some things from it but here i'm just giving you my my take as well on this Um, You hear that and you think, like in your mind, you probably picture events like Buffalo grocery store, Um, maybe less severe, but you hear 200 mass shootings. And in your mind, you probably, if you're being honest with yourself, you probably picture something similar to that, meaning kind of a public space out in the open. And it's a killer that shows up someplace and is intent on just trying to shoot a bunch of random people. But that is not the, the statistic that gun violence archive is compiling. And I will say that based on what I've seen from gun violence archive, there is an agenda there and it is not a gun friendly one. Okay. They try to present it as being this matter of fact, just sticking to the facts. You know, we're just reporting the data kind of thing, but the way they report the data and the um, the the type of data they aggregate is is done with the intent of making us feel like things are really really bad and we have to do something about it. Which I'm not saying there isn't stuff we should do. Uh, there's stuff that we should do if we can. The problem is not as easily solved as what the anti-gunners would would have us believe. However, right? We we're going to touch on that in our next article when we talk about why New York's laws didn't prevent the Buffalo shooting. Mm -hmm. So, um, but that's, that's the big thing here is we need to be critical thinkers and we need to understand we, when we hear certain things, um, we, we can't often trust our initial, because when I first heard that on the radio, I'm like, and, and I'll be honest, I'm very skeptical. I'm a skeptical person by nature with such things. I was like, going to have to look into this some more because I thought it sounded like a bunch of bull crap. Now, I'm not saying that 200 plus mass shootings by gun violence archives definition didn't occur. I'm just saying there's a big difference between random public, you know, shooting where four or more people are shot than you got a gang of four dudes that eat shoot, eat, shoot each other. Right. Uh, we had a shooting in what was it San Francisco or Sacramento? Not that long ago. Right. That was gang related, but it gets reported in the news, you know, mass shooting in California, but it was some kind of gang related, you know, deal. 
mass shooting in Chicago, uh, gang related, uh, mass shooting in you know, whatever, just name your place. A lot of them, a lot of those multiple people being shot incidents are, are gang related. Okay. And that is its own problem. That's very different than the problem. Like what we had in Buffalo, New York, those are very, very different problems. We want to, I, I say we in a general sense, like what society is trying to tell us or the government's trying to tell us, we want to try to solve all those problems with the same solution, which is we need more gun control. Mm-hmm. And that is almost never the answer when we have very different problems and yet somehow they're solved by the same solution. Hmm. That alone should raise your skepticism levels. Yeah, I mean, you you could have a headache for a number of reasons, right? And like, not all not all the time can you just take like Tylenol and, and solve it, right? So if you just count it, like, I have all these patients that come in and have headaches, so I just give them head, you know Tylenol because you know that that, that solves headaches. And it's like, I give, I give you right, like hair. let's <laughs> well let's kind of like you know look at the look at the problems and try to fix the solution, you know, f- tailor a solution towards um, specifics rather than just a general like. Oh, well, there was violence, and, and the guy happened to be using a gun. So, therefore, let's let's apply this to every single situation. I, I, I'll give you a better example, Matthew. Besides the headache one, hmm. let's do, do you remember like hundred years ago, and it was a big deal, like a big thing, a very common practice to try to solve mental illness by performing lobotomies on people. Yeah, yeah. that that I mean, is a, that's a great example. You have somebody that's like, well, he's mentally ill. What is he ill with? I have no idea. He's just, he's crazy. Well, let's give him a lobotomy, right? And like, how many people did, did they, did doctors screw over? Because <laughs> they take out some chunk in the front, you know, prefrontal lobe of their brain, <laughs> which, you know, in some cases had an effect because basically they stopped being a normal person. Like they stopped really being a person. They just, were a living thing that, you know, could do some things, but mm-hmm. they certainly were not what we'd consider a person anymore, at least the person they used to be. And in some cases caused even bigger problems for, for other people where they got, you know, crazier or got more angry and, you know, but we tried to use a lobotomy to fix all these problems. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Gun control is the answer for everything violence related in case you didn't know. Sarcasm. Uh, other thoughts about this uh, mass shooting thing and gun violence archive and so on and so forth. No, just do the, you know, we, we harp on this all the time. Just do the research. When you hear statistics, be skeptical about everything. Even what we say, you know, sometimes we get things wrong unintentionally when, when I, you know, we've, I've never said anything. And I know Riley, Jacob never said anything uh, to purposely, you know, to, uh, to obfuscate something or to, to, you know, but, um, sometimes people get things wrong. Right. So, um, but always be skeptical with what you hear, um, from whatever source it comes from, do your research and, and, you know, be, be, look at the big picture and and see if it makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Yep. There's one other article. And of course we're probably running out of time, but, uh, or we're getting up there in our time. Uh, so we'll have to move through some things. We still have some important things to talk about. 
The next article I do want to touch on, uh, we recognize that a few days ago there was this horrific um, actual mass shooting, public mass shooting, mass killing. Uh, it will be on the FBI's official list whenever they, you know, do their next report on mass killings. But um, this article is on Reason.com, written by a fellow by the name of Jacob Solom, and he does a fantastic job in this article. Um, I have no idea what his political persuasions are. I also don't care, but I think the way he explains things in this article and breaks it down is just phenomenal. Uh, again, this is published on Reason.com. The title is Why New York's Assault Weapon Ban Didn't Stop the Buffalo Massacre. So, um, basically, you know, it, it's a fairly detailed article. It's not super long, but it's fairly detailed. But let me kind of give you the premise here. Um, we know that the weapon used in Buffalo, New York, was a, well, a previously supposed legal rifle, semi-automatic rifle in the state of New York. Keep in mind that back in 2012, I think it was, they passed their SAFE Act, the New York SAFE Act. That was a comprehensive bill with you know a number of measures. That's where they tried to limit magazine capacities to seven rounds. Uh, and then later were forced by the courts to allow people to use 10-round mags, but only put seven rounds in them comply with the law right um and stuff like that and also they straight up outlawed assault weapons by their definition in that bill as well well they went the same old route as the assault weapons ban of 1994 did by focusing more on features um aesthetics even as far as how we define a so-called assault weapon so things like bayonet lugs threaded barrels because you know you might be able to thread on there a suppressor or a flash hider uh removable box magazine capable of using ones with high capacity a pistol grip an adjustable stock etc etc you guys have probably heard many of these same kind of Things like California and Massachusetts and a lot of these uh, states with their own versions of assault weapons ban bans often use similar language, right? So this was a, a Bushmaster rifle that the perpetrator of the crime purchased legally in the state of New York as an 18-year-old adult, and it had been modified to comply with New York state law. It had a device installed that it, it I can't remember what it's called, but it's probably mentioned in the article, but I don't really care. Um, but basically the, the, and this was a big deal in California too. And they ended up, you know, they had a, a bullet button, you know, accessory too, that was kind of a, a similar thing. But the idea here was that this was modified with a 10 round magazine installed, but that magazine's locked in place. So basically you, you might have like a, uh, a ring or a, a piece of paracord or something attached to, the rear takedown pin on the rifle so that when you go to reload it, you'd pull the pin, flip forward the upper receiver, and then you could stuff rounds into the magazine. That's kind of the idea of how this rifle was modified so that it complied with New York state law. And then again, it was a 10-round AR magazine, but you're only supposed to put seven in it. Okay, just keep that in mind. 
And then, of course, you'd flip it closed and put, push the pin back in, and then you could, you know, proceed to shooting your rifle again. Um, so this kid, he was a kid, unfortunately, 18-year-old uh, perpetrator of the crime, removed the device that forced you to have to open the rifle's action to reload it so that you could simply hit a magazine release and pull the magazine out and reload it. And he did a couple other modifications to the rifle as well. So the irony, right, of passing laws to control guns uh, owned primarily by law-abiding citizens so we could prevent gun violence or crime, you know, using their terms. And yet here we bought a legal firearm and then simply probably in the matter of an hour, if that, modified it back to be an illegal one. My favorite part of this whole article, Matthew, there's a lot of great analysis throughout it, but at the, towards the bottom of the article, he basically says um, how assuming the magazines held more than 10 rounds, that detail, and he's referring to how he was able to use an increased capacity magazine that was not legal in New York which he probably could have just drove over the border somewhere and bought, right? Um, assuming the magazines held more than 10 rounds, that detail, along with the shooter's illegal modification of the rifle, illustrates a point that should be obvious. Mass murderers are not punctilious, that's a great word, about obeying gun control laws. Imagine that. The main effect of such limits is to incommode, wow, another good word, and possibly endanger law-abiding gun owners who can no longer legally buy the large capacity, this is in quotes, magazines that are standard for many firearms. Final paragraph. Even if the shooter was for some reason worried about violating New York's gun regulations, which I assure you he was not, he could have killed just as many people using a legally compliant rifle with a 10-round magazine. Because they were almost all defenseless inside there. Yes, there was the armed security guard, right? But I think this assertion is pretty accurate. Final sentence of the article. The distinctions that legislators deem important, it turns out, do not actually matter in the real world. Mm. That is some hard, hard fact right there. Fabulous article. I don't know who Jacob Solom is, but bravo to you. For writing this because that is I, I I you couldn't articulate that any better. Yeah. Yeah, he, he uses a lot of words I don't understand, so it must be must be good. But no, it Until I, I, I and in yeah, right. <laughs> But yeah, it, it, it it's true and we we harp on that and you know it's not to say uh that and it's not to downplay or take away from the tragedy of what happened. Right. I think we can have a conversation on um, uh, on we can have a conversation on the event without overshadowing the tragic event. Right. Itself. Um, We're certainly not trying to to downplay that. Um, And I won't rehash what you said. You you know, I don't have anything to add other than um, we have another article from uh, Bearing Arms that talked about how the FBI investigated um, the shooter prior to the shooting and who had made claims and had um, uh, 
a history of at least um, some mental illness. Uh, I, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to claim to know exactly how bad or not bad or, you know, the level of this. Um, but he clearly uh, had shown some some signs of uh, mental illness, uh, violence and things like that through statements the FBI investigated. And um, it's an interesting uh it, you know, you, you'll find this, this, this art, one article that's in the show notes is from Bearing Arms, but multiple news agencies have reported that this, this was, this wasn't a, you know, a shock that this was the perpetrator. Um, you know, and only looking in, in, in hindsight, do, do we go back and kind of say, yeah, the, these are red, red flag, um, that of, of violence, potential violence and things like that. But, um, yeah, so he was kind of on the radar. It's a tragic event. Oh, you froze my end, Matthew. You still there? Um, um, wasn't as pretty, Riley. Nope, you're you're kind of back. Yep, you're back. All right. Oh, sorry, you you froze there temporarily. So I don't know if oh. it, if that was just for me or if everybody experienced the same thing. Uh, but I think I got the gist of what you're saying. Um, you know. It, <laughs> Here's the thing. This bearing arms article is saying is basically suggesting FBI blew it on this one. Um, and I and I understand that argument because they're saying that that the killer uh, about a year previous issued some kind of threatening statement, which according to this, according to the author uh, uh, Tom Knighton of this article, he's like that threatening statement's already a prosecutable offense. Okay, perhaps it is. I don't know. Okay. I don't even know for sure what was said. Okay. Or what evidence they had of that. Right. But let's assume that a threat was in fact issued, particularly against a school or whatever it was. I think it, I think it was, uh, uh, it was about how he wanted to carry out a shooting. And I thought maybe directed towards his school or something at that time. But anyway, um, perhaps that was prosecutable and they didn't. All right. All right. It's a failure. So, so it is, but, a lot of times people are quick to point out how with re- with similar mass shooting events and we learn such things, well, they were looked at, they were evaluated, they were questioned, they were investigated, um, you know, a year, two years, three years beforehand, and we dropped the ball. And it's like, well, here's the deal. Um, maybe, maybe some things were dropped. Maybe some things were missed. Maybe some things weren't prosecuted that could have or should have been prosecuted. And that might have made a difference. It also might not have. But anyway, um, maybe that's all true. But maybe the flip side is also true. Maybe it was investigated and they found that there was not anything they could charge him with. And I know we want to be like, well, there's got to be something. You know, we want to think that there was a way we could have prevented this from happening. And I'd like to think that there was something that could have been prevented as well. However, um, from the legal side of things, there's a reason why in this country you are innocent until you're proven guilty. There's a reason due process exists. And those protections, unfortunately, if you want to look at it that way, because of that assumption that we are innocent until we are proven guilty, there is going to be times that things are missed because we cannot prove that somebody is violating or breaking the law. This is not a country that runs itself like minority, like the movie Minority Report. 
We don't prosecute and convict based off of what might happen. And so there's got to be evidence beyond a reasonable doubt that, you know, that, that demonstrates that, that leads to a conviction that's going to throw somebody behind bars or do something else that keeps them from being able to commit a crime like this potentially. And that doesn't always exist, I think, the way we think it does. I think that there are things that, have, that are investigated and they're like, well, something here seems off, but we don't have anything that legally allows us to take this person into custody or to charge them. I think those situations also exist. The more important thing, rather than, we can, we can blame the FBI for a bunch of stuff or ATF or any number of eight government agencies. That certainly is true as well. But where the focus really should be is the warning signs, and there probably are some, um, and even that's tricky too. But where's this person's parents? Where's this person's friends? Who are their associates? Who are they talking to? Who's in their community that they know? Is there, was there something said or witnessed that somebody thought, well, that seems a little off and might have spoken up but didn't? Don't know. Mm-hmm. Fox5Vegas.com uh, article on the California church shooting. And uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. So we're going to probably talk, talk more, well, probably more about the Buffalo one than anything. Um, but, you know, we're, we didn't come to do this news in, in Gear Reviews episode today to focus on these particular shootings. Um, but we did want to address them. We didn't want to talk about them. We wanted to share a couple things related to them because we know it's on your folks' mind. We may do a little bit more of an analysis sort of thing at a future date. But what I want to say is re- as it relates to this uh, shooting in, uh, well, excuse me, it wasn't in Las Vegas. Was, that's funny. Las Vegas resident. That's right. He was from Las Vegas. I remember reading that now. Um, well, Gary, I guess this guy drove down to Los Angeles. Laguna Woods. Or Laguna Woods. Isn't that close to L.A.? Where is that? I thought it was close to L.A. Yeah, it's, it's, it's South L.A. South, South L.A.? LA. Okay. So it's kind of in that, yeah. yeah. Um, I guess he drove down there to open fire at this church. So that's pretty strange. And apparently it was motivated by ten- political tensions between China and Taiwan. This guy was upset. Okay. Mm-hmm. Goes to a church and shoots a bunch of people. One dead, uh, four others, I think, uh, or five wounded, right? But what we'd rather focus on is and there's some great photos that have been you know published and that's what this article shows from fox5vegas.com are regular folks um, including one man that apparently used a chair to help uh, you know break off this shooting attack and then a bunch of others jumped on this man and held him down and stopped him from hurting other people mm-hmm. and that is awesome and remarkable uh, these folks are heroes, and uh, I mean, I'm not. And there were also hero heroes in the Buffalo, New York shooting too. A little bit of a different context, um, different uh, different circumstances, but uh, I'm glad that this one played out the way it did. As far as limiting the damage, right? People got involved. People stepped up to the plate. People took risks, personal risks, great personal risks, to try to interrupt this attack and successfully brought it to a conclusion on their own before authorities arrived. Bravo to them. Yeah. 
Uh, Matthew, tell us about this article from Analand.com titled, Follow the Science, Unless It Leads Where You Don't Want to Go. Yeah, uh, I know we're getting, we're running long on this, so I'm not going to hit this because this has a lot of detail in the in the article. But basically, this was a, a an analysis of red flag laws, um, specifically in California. So California um, passed way back in 2014. So this looked at the effectiveness um, of red flag laws from 2014 through 2019 um, and in San Diego, California. Um, so it extrapolated like a, a, how they do a lot of times they take like a, a population at a specific time and use it kind of as a, as a, I don't know, a computer model, if you would, and say, you know, this is what we would expect to see and does it match up with what actually happened? And this is kind of, I'm not a statistician, but this is kind of, a common practice. Um, and I'll just give you the, the overview. Um, it said, let, let me pull this up. It says um, that I'm trying to find the exact quote. Okay, here we go. The results though showed that the GVRO, um, the gun violence uh, restraining orders uh, law had no impact quote. We found no evidence that GVRO implementation was associated with decreased firearm assaults, assault or firearm self-harm at the population level in San Diego. Okay. So, um, and, and then they said, um, they, the research sought to qualify, uh, this by noting that the findings could partially quote, partially, um, explained by access to firearms through the underground market or, quote, could reflect a true absence of association or limitations of our study. Further research is needed to determine which of these is the case. Okay, let me just pause and say, I agree that, like, it's hard to ascribe, you know, clear causation from one thing, especially on something like gun violence in quotes, uh, suicides with guns, crime with guns. So I agree with their assessment that like, hey, there probably needs to be more study into this to see if it's effective. But here's here's the kicker. Um, that's not actually what they think. Like they say that to discount or, or to kind of uh, spin the results. But this is what they really say. Um, at the end, it says um, the research here maintained that quote, Despite our null findings, the state of the evidence overall supports GVROs and related legislation as tools that may be useful in preventing firearm injury and death. Oh, hang on. That just completely is against what they just said. They just said the evidence does not substantiate it and further studying needs to be uh, done to see that. But then they still assert it's just an assertion that these things are useful in presenting or may be useful in preventing. So it's like, this is why it's so hard. It, and you really have to be a seeker of truth when you hear these things, because on one hand, they're admitting, hey, we, we did the study, doesn't show any, any, you know, any connection, we need to do more study. However, we think the evidence shows that these may be useful. Well, what evidence are you going off of? I, I don't know. Like, the, <laughs> so uh, just one study, but there's a lot more that goes into that uh, to that article. And um, yeah, I don't know what you thought about it, Riley, but I thought it was a pretty pretty well written article over on Amaland. Oh, no doubt about it, man. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. Is anybody actually surprised by what was acknowledged here? I'm not particularly. 
because, I mean, it comes down to if you're intent on committing a crime in violation of a restraining order is a crime. If you're intent on doing that, you're going to do it. You don't care about some stupid piece of paper. You might not even care that a GVRO was put in place on you and your guns were seized. If you're intent, you'll go find something, some way to hurt the person that has that restraining order against you. It's just as simple as that. It's just like this Buffalo, New York shooter lives in a state, can't buy certain things legally. Well, just buy the legal things and modify them or buy things illegally. And you go do what you wanted to do anyway. That's the nature of being a criminal. Uh, I did find it interesting. It's This is not only about gun, gun violence restraining orders or, you know, in Colorado, we refer to them as ERPOs, uh, extreme risk protection orders. And of course, the other common name is a red flag. You know, uh, well, that's referring to a red flag law. Um, and, uh, but the other interesting thing here is about how they, they stated we found no evidence that these GVROs uh, resulted in decreased firearm assault or firearm self-harm. So, uh, again, if you're intent on harming yourself, I mean, yes, you should seek out help. We want people to seek out help. Um, but just because... You know, somebody shows up at your doorstep, a police officer with a piece of paper and says, we have a warrant here signed by a judge to seize your guns. Doesn't mean that people aren't still going to hurt themselves. We can only protect people so far. And at what point do we stop and draw the line? Because it starts trampling on people's rights. Because we have discussed numerous times in this episode on the, or in this podcast of the potential dangers for due process violations because of such laws. Not all of them are written equally well in that regard either in terms of trying to protect due process uh, constitutional rights. Uh, But it's pretty interesting that the uh, authors of this um, study published in JAMA, which is one of the biggest medical journals out there, the journal of... uh, uh, American Medicine or something like that. Uh, it's slipping my mind. Journal of American Medical Association. Interesting that they use the terminology that we that uh, we hope this will um, deter gun industry lobbyists from spinning the study's results as definitive evidence that the gun laws do not work. Interesting. Sounds like there's. They just did that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like there's a uh, uh, a bias there, right? An agenda. Mm-hmm. Anyway, pretty interesting stuff from a recognized journal on medicine. And they acknowledged red flag laws don't work as well as we'd like them to, or as well as we think they would, as people tell us they should. Final news story. This one comes from my home state of Boise or from my home state of Idaho. Uh, I did not live in Boise or actually even all that close to Boise, although I've been to Boise many, many times and have family that live there. Uh, Boise High School, uh, specifically Boise School District, suspended an 18-year-old senior, D. 
Daniel Doherty for four days after causing a disturbance that led to a school-wide shelter in place, according to his family. The Boise Police Department responded to a call on May 5th regarding a student near campus with a gun. Apparently, and here's the story, uh, he parks his truck off campus. He's 18 years old and has a legally owned gun. His family stated he helps on their farm with livestock and feeding horses. Um, his mother said, we have mountain lions. We have wolves. That's true. That's true. We have wolves in Idaho. Uh, we have things that can attack him. His gun. This is, again, from his mother. <laughs> his gun is for his safety. He's 18 years old. His parents are okay with it. He gets up early in the mornings, goes and feeds and takes care of livestock, and there's wolves and mountain lions, potentially. And so he has a gun he takes with him. But he goes straight from there and goes to school. And he leaves his gun in his, in his vehicle, in his truck. Now, I'm not going to come after the whole, like, leaving, you know, guns and vehicles thing here. Okay? Um, and, by the way, there are times where we have to do that. And we've talked about that. And talked about strategies for securing your firearm when you do have to take it off your person and leave it, you know, potentially in a vehicle. Uh, I'm not as concerned about that. But what happened here was he went to, he parks off campus. Let's be clear about that. He was also going to a gas station on this particular day, got to the gas station, uh, realized for some reason his truck door would not shut. Something happened and it wasn't latching shut. So I guess he took his gun with him into the gas station. Um, I don't know if that meant that he was carrying it openly or if he was like holding it. I, I have no idea what that looks like. But apparently he was observed. He comes out of the gas station, goes back into his truck, realizes that the weather stripping on the door had caused the door to not be able to latch fully. So he fixes the problem. Cool. All is well. Leaves the gas station. Goes back to campus. Well, towards campus. Again, he parks off campus. Leaves his gun in the truck. Locks it all up. Goes back to school, but by this point, police have been called, and bam, school locked down, and he finds himself arrested. Some crazy things that come from this story. First of all, the school district has a policy that the school district campus extends beyond the, lim the physical limits of campus grounds. And I think that is the most stupid thing I've ever heard. And there's probably a lot of schools out there that have similar policies. This kid is literally off campus. Now, apparently that extends like one block away or something from campus, according to that policy. Um, but uh, he actually still parks beyond that boundary, whatever that boundary is. It says here, um, here's the policy. I had it here. Uh, a parking space near the school. Duh, 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 duh. Man, I had it, but now I can't find it. Help me out, Matthew. I was going to just, no, it, I guess it doesn't You're matter. You're talking about the area between the west side of, yeah, it, the area between the, the west side of the explains the specific, east side of 14th are considered on camps. Okay, there you go. Yeah, that's probably what it was that I was thinking of. Anyway, it doesn't matter because he still was not parking within that handbook defined school campus area he was still mm -hmm. by policy 
technically off campus, even though I think it's ridiculous that they define areas that by physical boundary are not actually on ca- campus, but yet they still define them as on campus. Regardless, he was reported. He's now been suspended. And uh, this is just remarkable to me. And it's remarkable and, and shameful that it comes from my home state of Idaho, a gun-loving state, although Boise is like a lot of other metropolitan areas and have, you know, more anti-gun laws or they don't necessarily have a lot of laws uh, there, but in that respect, you know, nothing like we have in say Denver or New York city. Um, But uh, the attitudes there, you know, it's just like any other big city, but I'm still disappointed. Uh, This poor kid just having his, his senior, the end of his senior year completely disrupted because of, probably a well-meaning but misplaced report of something that uh, was not actually a threat, nor was it actually taking place on campus. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm interested to see how this plays out. I mean, obviously, clearly there's a, there's a spirit of the law. There's a letter of the law in, in this. And if, if the law is designed primarily right to keep pe- the, the school students safe, if, if, that, if that's your idea, right? Like that's the premise. Um, or, or, or then this kid didn't, the law didn't work. The law, we talk about like a restorative justice, right? Like, oh, our, our legal system is supposed to be restorative. We don't put people away for just for penalty, but we want to restore them. Well, what is, what is restorative about the kid who didn't do anything to, to harm anyone, had no ill intention? And how is this restorative? This is exactly punitive. This is, there, there is no, there, this this is all it is is punitive and it, it and it it doesn't serve a purpose so i hope that i mean i, I don't know i hope that this kid gets a, a, a lawyer and yep. and they hammer because this this that's garbage man to me it, I, I don't know it's garbage and it's unjust he's been unjustly uh, uh disciplined because no rule and no law was broken Boise School District and Boise High School, get your act together. You should be ashamed <laughs> of yourselves. I know my words will mean nothing to your school board or whatever, your school principal, but you should be ashamed of yourself. I really, truly believe that. <sighs> Gary <All> V. Right. <laughs> I'm going to go first. Go for it. Mika's pocketholsters.com. M-I-K-A-S pocketholsters.com. So recently I decided I would spend a little bit more time with revolvers. I wanted to educate myself more about revolvers and particularly about the practice of carrying a revolver as a option for self-defense. I am not a huge, huge, you know, revolver um, fan's not the right word. I don't know. I'm not super big on the idea of carrying a whopping five rounds with me in my gun. But I recognize that revolvers still have a place in this world, um, that they're a viable option, maybe not always the best option, and certainly not the best option for everybody, uh, but a viable one nonetheless. And so I I ended up wanting to uh, look into a couple of different holster options uh, in different methods of carrying. So I ended up getting an ankle holster, uh, a renegade holster from uh, uh, 
wilderness, wilderness, uh, the wilderness tactical, excuse, excuse me, because uh, I wanted to experiment with that a little bit more. Uh, I got this, I got a uh, Filster uh, City Special holster, it's called, uh, to that, that fits a J-Frame revolver, which what is what this is. And then I got this pocket holster from Mika's Pocket Holsters. I think it's Mika's, or maybe it's Mika's, but it's M-I-K-A apostrophe S. Um, the owner, I think, is Robert Mika or Micah. Uh, super nice guy. And in fact, I was super impressed. This is the first thing I wanted to say. I placed my order. I mean, yes, I did order this. It was it was not sent to me for evaluation. It was very reasonably priced. It was like 32 bucks or 36 bucks or something. I thought that was very reasonable. It's handmade by the man himself in Wisconsin, I think, or Minnesota. He's up in that region of the country, north central portion. Um I placed the order at like 8.32 p.m. on a Tuesday night or something. And at 8.37 p.m., my phone rang. And I was like, at first I looked at it and I was like, huh, phone call from Minnesota or Wisconsin. Again, I can't remember for sure where he's located, but it's up there. And I was like, well, wait a minute. I just ordered something from that region of the country. I was like, oh, I guess I'll answer this. Hello? Hi, this is Robert from Mika'sPocketHolsters.com. Just wanted to confirm your order. And that was a pleasant surprise and a nice little touch. And I have since learned because I have seen from a few other individuals in recent history that have placed also orders uh, similar to mine that they all got the same phone call as soon as they placed the order. And I think that's pretty dang remarkable in this day and age where almost everybody wants to communicate via text or email or social media, even um, that this man would take the time out of his day. Every time he sees an order come in to call a number and it's just, Hey, got your order, making sure everything's good. looks like you ordered a, a, a pocket holster with the rounded bottom. Cause he, you, you can get the squared off bottom or a rounded bottom, you know, how it's sewn and cut. Um, and that it's for a, a Smith & Wesson J-Frame uh, uh, 442. And I was like, yep, that's what I ordered. Great, got your order. Uh, you know, we'll be making this up tomorrow. It'll be shipped out on Monday. And it was like a, actually, I might have placed the order on a f- Friday or something. Because I remember it went, you know, over the weekend. And then he shipped it out on Monday. And a couple days later, it was in my hands. Uh, it's a simple holster, but it's very effective. And it works. And it conceals, especially with a J-Frame like this. Um, it's made from, it's not leather, but it's a leather-like material. Uh, the inside allows the gun to come free when you want it to very easily. The outside here has this kind of rubbery material, so it stays and sticks inside your holster or inside your pocket. Um, I've used it a fair amount over the last, I think it's been about six weeks, maybe almost two months that I've had this now. And it is a well-made simple but well-designed product with amazing customer service for a fabulous price. I couldn't be happier with this pocket holster for my 442 Smith & Wesson revolver from MikasPocketHolsters.com. Nice. Very cool. Good news. All right. So mine is a little different. I just wrote an article. It's on Concealed Carry uh, published last night. Um, and it's this Presidia gel. It's a CS spray. 
uh, self-defense, uh, kind of like a OC type spray. And uh, they're this reflex called reflex remove. It's kind of a decontamination neutralizing formula that you use. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I was looking for some, a less lethal option for um, the church security team. And, uh, you know, I had, I have some background experience with, um, training with OC. And, um, and so I, I, the, the, the problem with OC, if you know, is, you know, or anything that aerosols is that it, it displaces oxygen, oxygen, it's, it spreads. If you spray indoors, everybody's going to get affected somehow, right? Even if it's not on them, they're going to, you're going to, it's in the air. Uh, if you're in like a hospital setting or an indoor setting, it gets into the the air, you know, the air handlers and, and, and all that, and it can be spread. So it can be a, a kind of a nightmare. Um, it's difficult to kind of target an individual, right? Um, this Presidia gel is a gel. It sprays in a stream and there are OCs that spray in a stream and that are gel. Um, but this um, CS happens to, to work extremely quickly the way uh, it's formulated as soon as it, it hits your skin. Um, I actually took a, an exposure. I, I recorded it on a video and um, my wife had fun spraying me and I got my daughter involved in, in recording and everything. So it was a family affair of spraying me with, uh, with this. But um, it awesome. definitely, <laughs> yeah, it definitely works. Uh, it's intense, and it, the good thing about it is it's not um, it's not oil based. So if you know if you try to think of like if you got oil on your hands, you're cooking, you got olive oil or something on your hands, it's difficult to get that off, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and so it's the same thing with OC spray. Is it, you know that's that's oil based is that it's difficult. You, you, you might be able to flush it off, but that oil still on there. And as soon as it gets wet again, you know, it starts to fire up. This reflex remove is kind of neutralizes it. Um, and it, since it's not oil based, it's a little easier to, to flush off, um, to get out of your eyes and things. So the, the recovery time with this, I mean, I was like six minutes after, uh, after spray through the recovery process where I could, my eyes were open. I wasn't pouring, you know, discharge out of my nose and coughing and, you know, still kind of like focus on the burning sensation. It was soothed enough where I could open my eyes. I could, you know, kind of give a, a quick little lowdown of what I was experiencing and stuff. So um, not only is it very effective and it works extremely quickly, but the, 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 this is specifically for the Presidia gel. Um, the decontamination that works very effectively and quickly is good because if you have to, uh, decontaminate, you know, your, your, you know, somebody, uh, once, once they're in custody or whatever it might be, or it's cross contamination or something, uh, it's, it's effective. So if you want to know more about that, you can check out the, the review, but, um, it's not a yeah. new product. It's maybe two, three years old. It's new to me. And, uh, but I was extremely impressed with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it it kind of looks like it, there's a variety of gel products out there. You know, mm-hmm. like for instance, I'm thinking about like the Kimber gel, uh, like the actual like gun shaped thing, you know, yeah. shoots like this red, orange, like it looks like, like gel, like you would yeah. like a, like a, yeah. like a hair gel kind of, you know, it's really mm-hmm. sticky or whatever. This looked kind of almost like a, something between a spray and a gel. Exactly. Like yeah, it and it's like a spray, but yep. it doesn't quite aerosolize like like other sprays do. Like you were saying, so that it's going to end up 
being, you know, uh, cross contaminating throughout the environment quite as much as a spray. Yeah. So, you, and you can't you scoop it up and yeah, a hundred percent. And yeah. you can't scoop it off your skin, you know, and, and kind of chuck it back at whoever's spraying you. Right. Like that's a, that's a consideration. Um, it's almost like it, it's, it's a, it feels like a liquid on your skin. You don't feel like a heavy, thick gel on it, but it doesn't splash like, a, like if it was just a water, like mm. straight water. So, and, and and according to your review, you said that about three seconds is when is about how long it took for it to like all of a sudden kind of kick in and and start making yeah. its effect on you, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That's 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 pretty good. I think that's pretty good. Um, I was going to ask about as far as like, did you feel like you got much in the way as far as that was impacting your airway, like your lungs, like really no. Kinda, yeah. Or is it more like a that, surface pain? Or was it more yeah, like Yeah, it was definitely surface? pain on the skin, like burning. Yeah. Yeah. And I could feel it was almost like, I don't know if you've ever had, like, you've just been like maybe cooking with peppers or something like that, where mm-hmm. like, you're not actually getting pepper, like, like oil in your, in your mouth or anything, but you can kind of feel it like mm-hmm. in your so I, I did feel like at one point I was coughing a little bit. I could feel it in my throat and kind of in my nose and stuff. And it did cause some nasal discharge, but it wasn't like a CS gas um, where it's just like pouring out, like, you know, you're just discharging mucus like, like crazy. Um, and it wasn't like um, OC where it was, it felt like you couldn't catch your breath, but I definitely could feel like that. Like, boy, I, I it's like, I can, and I didn't take a, 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 you know, I don't believe any of it got directly in my mouth when I was getting sprayed. I'm sure some of it, you know, might've gone in my nose and kind of gotten on my lips and maybe I, you know, kind of worked its way into my mouth, but I didn't get, so, you know, I guess if, if, if somebody got sprayed directly in the mouth, they might have a different experience with it. Um, but that's, that's kind of what I had. Mm. Okay, cool. Cool. Right on, man. Appreciate you uh, uh, you doing that review and also answering my questions. I, I just thought it would be uh, interesting to pick your brain a bit about some of that. I yeah. did want to clarify before I let folks go that I did mispronounce his name, of course, and that's Robert Micah, Micah's Pocket Holsters. Uh, so I wanted to make sure I made that clarification. And the one other thing I failed to mention is that it has reinforcement in there that keeps it open even after the gun's drawn. Mm-hmm. So even if I pinch that closed, you see how... I mean, it, it's got a, uh, some kind of, I don't know what exactly what it is, but it's, you can feel the reinforcing in there and it just springs that back open, even when it's in your pocket. So I thought that was noteworthy and, and worth mentioning. So yeah. anyway, cool. Good stuff. Uh, guys, a little bit longer episode. Thanks for sticking around with us. Uh, hope you enjoyed today's articles and, uh, our, our discussion of them and also our reviews. We appreciate your support of the podcast and also the support of our sponsors. Today's episode was sponsored by uh, Range Tech Shot Timers, which you can find at rangetechtimer.com. And also Barrel Block, which you can find at barrelblock.com. Barrel Block with a K. B-A-R-R-E-L-B-L-O-K.com. Today, before we let you go, it is the day we announce a weekly uh, giveaway winner. Uh, Matthew, we're going to get through this pretty quickly. We're giving away what and who is the winner? We're giving away a SWAT tee, 
Um, and Rich R, you are the winner of the SWAT T. Congratulations. And next week, we're giving away appropriately a palm pepper spray, OC spray individual unit. Um, make sure that you sign up at www.concealcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. And you got to do that every week uh, to be entered in. And that's all you got to do. You don't have to listen to the podcast or be, you know, live, listen to it. All you got to do is check your email if you've uh, signed up and we'll contact you if you're the winner. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Concealcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. Make sure you sign up each week, guys. Thanks again for another great episode, Matthew. We'll let you go. Thank we'll you. Let everybody else here go. It's been with us live. Uh, another episode has come and gone. Uh, our next one will be, I believe, recorded actually on Friday of this week, working on finalizing some details with a special guest. Stay tuned for that. So until next time, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.